Hello and welcome to the Week 11 Football Outsiders Coach Ranking Show. I'm Ian O'Connor, Senior Data Analyst here at Football Outsiders. Joining me again this week is Vince Verheye, Football Outsiders Assistant Editor. This week we're going to be talking about Jeff Saturday's big win. We had a lot to say about him last week. A lot of people did. We'll be looking at Josh McDaniels on the other side and are the Raiders hitting rock bottom. The Packers and Bucks offenses came alive last week and Kyle Shanahan's got some perplexing usage that has been kind of a hot topic this week. And we're also going to look ahead to some of our favorite matchups from week 11 like we do every week. Before we get started, I just want to ask you a question out there if you're watching. Are your season-long fantasy teams floundering at this point in the season? Just a few weeks to go until the playoffs if you're out of it. Come play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 using promo code OUTSIDERS. Play Underdog's Battle Royale, which is a fast six-round weekly fantasy football draft, gives you a little bit simpler chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites. And you can even win $50,000 if you grab the first place prize. Or try their pick'em games where you can easily pick players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, basically building out a parlay of prop bets. And that is available even in states where traditional prop betting currently is not. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around, so join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERS now to double your first deposit up to $100. That's a free $100 waiting for you at Underdog Fantasy. So with that in the books, we'll jump right into our lead story, which is kind of the same as it was last week in a way, with Jeff Saturday leading the Colts to victory, if you could call it that. Last week, we talked about the surprise hiring of Jeff Saturday. Well, his first order of business was to pull a switcheroo on everyone and say he was starting Sam Ellinger, and then on game day, have Matt Ryan go out and start. It worked. The Colts uh, went to Vegas and got a win, a big game from Jonathan Taylor. It's only been one game against what really is a disaster of a Raiders team, but Vince, was this a case, you think, of just a team being kind of invigorated under a new coach, which you see often, or do you think Saturday did some things or uh, showed you some things where you think he could actually be a good fit at this, at this position? Well, let's save off the bat. Congratulations to Jeff Saturday. Congratulations to the Indianapolis Colts. You earned that win. You played better than the other team. You, de- you deserve that victory. And, uh, Clearly, I underestimated him because I, I uh, on the show last week, suggested all kinds of things that could go wrong. And in fact, they, of the two teams playing that game in Las Vegas, they were the more professional football team. They showed up where they were supposed to be and did their jobs as best as they could. Way, way better than the Raiders did. Uh, as far as what's going on, what, what what's going to happen in the future going forward, I'm, I would never say I was convinced of anyone being great or terrible coach, player, GM, announcer, what have you, after only one game. Uh, So we'll see what happens the rest of this year. The only thing I can tell you for sure right now is that, A, the washed-up, dead-arm, zombie version of Matt Ryan is still worlds better than whatever Sam Ellinger has to offer. And, B, the Colts were actually trying to win that game. I'm not convinced the Raiders were, by their own admission. Now, Derek Carr had a lot to say after the... The game in his post-game press conference getting very emotional, uh, perhaps about some of the, the preparation and attitude from some of the people in the building in that Raiders organization was not pretty. Uh, you said Matt Ryan kind of coming in. It, it seemed like that was a pretty popular a common sentiment was that it was dumb to even have Sam Ellinger out there in the, the first place for a couple games. He just didn't look good. Matt Ryan, for what he is these days, is still better then Sam yeah. Ellinger, and they're going to stick with it going forward, which is a smart place. So another smart, smart move by uh, Jeff Saturday already. Yeah, and, and Ryan. I mean, let's be clear. This is this is not a, a resurgent game for him. Uh, this is it's not like he's gonna be tearing up teams week after week. Now he, he only threw two deep balls against Las Vegas the entire game. Both were incomplete. Most of his throws were within five or six five or six yards of the line of scrimmage, and 
The Raiders just didn't bother tackling anybody. Yet let him go for big games, big gains. And then, of course, the most famous play of this game was the 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 uh, uh, thirty-nine yard run by the thirty-seven-year-old quarterback uh, down the sideline, where we all watched it happen and kind of said, "How? What just happened? How is this possible?" This was uh, the longest run of Ryan's career by nearly double. He had a he had a twenty-yard run back. Uh, he was age twenty-five, which would have been like twenty. Oh, shoot, I don't know, 2010 or so. Uh, but, yeah, he'd never come close to having a run this uh, this long before. And here he is out now with the, the old man with a walker. And that's enough to beat the Raiders uh, because uh, Mike Tanier has broken this down in his walkthrough columns. But when you actually watch the Raiders' defense in that play, they're not paying attention. They're half asleep. they got no idea what's going on. And then when they do realize what's happening – they're literally jogging after the quarterback at one point, and uh, there's a guy by the sideline who could make a tackle, but he gives it mm, 40% effort, and uh, Matt Ryan jukes him out of his shoes down the sideline for more yards. It was a sorry, sorry performance for these Raiders. If Matt Ryan's juking you at this point, you should probably just hang it up. <laughs> you you, you the- may <laughs> consider a new career, yeah. Yeah, take a couple games off, get, get a little bit better. But on the other side, Mitch, that Raiders team is just – Pretty much a train wreck right now. Their only two wins are against the Broncos and the Texans. Las Vegas is one of only two teams, two defenses, to allow more than 16 points to the Broncos, and it was their highest scoring output of the year. Is Josh McDaniels, maybe in your eyes, is he in danger of being fired even before the end of the season, or will this be another one of those scapegoat fires we see someone within that organization uh, like we talked about just a couple weeks ago? We were talking about the uh, on the FO Data Show with Aaron Schatz and Brian Knowles. The rematch this week between the Broncos and Raiders uh, Nathaniel Hackett versus Josh McDaniels round two. In a perfect world, this, they would uh, steal from pro wrestling into a le- loser leaves town match here with the losing coach being fired. And then in a perfect, perfect world, the game would end in a tie and they'd both be gone. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's the uh, uh, any of it actually is going to happen. For the Raiders specifically, uh, NFL reporter Dov Kleiman, citing Bill Plaschke of the LA Times, explains that the Raiders are too cash poor. They don't have the money on hand to fire McDaniels, pay him the money they owe him, and hire another coach, which means not only is he going to get through this year, Josh McDaniels is apparently going to be the LA, uh, Las Vegas Raiders coach through 2023. He's got another year and a half in the job here. Now that sucks, because as we talked about, this team is checked out. Uh, these players are, are, are not giving 100%. Uh, the quarterback goes in front of reporters after the games, almost after the game almost literally in tears because some of his teammates are not trying. And, and, you know, he made it very clear a lot of a lot of them are doing everything they can on and off the field to, to get ready to play, but others are not, and he's sick of it, and it's it's draining him, and uh, it's a disaster of a situation. But McDaniels is here, and he's going to be here for, for, you know, the intermediate term at least, still another year and a half. Now, I will say this in defense of him. This roster is awful. Uh, the Mike Mayock, John Gruden regime left this team in shambles. There's about a half dozen, maybe, positive players on either side of the ball here. Um, so they're going to have to, uh, they, they've got a lot of work to do to rebuild this into a competitive side. Uh, Mike Tanier covered this in walkthrough. I believe it ran on Thursday. Uh, you can check the uh, walkthrough page at footballoutsiders.com. But he went into detail about uh, what the Raiders need to do to fix this and how it's going to be a long-term fix. Derek Carr probably won't be part of it. He'll probably be the, uh, I would assume, the number one veteran quarterback available next year. Maybe going to a team like the Jets or something. Um, 
but there's going to be big changes at the Raiders, and it's going to take a long time to get them back to being competitive. Yeah, and Mike, that's something he and I talked about on Monday. I had brought up the the uh, the Raiders chapter of the Almanac. I'm like, I don't remember who wrote that. It was Mike saying how you know, a lot of people saw them get to the playoffs last year. They got kind of lucky in that Tuesday afternoon COVID game against the Browns. Uh, a couple other ones at the end of the season. This team wasn't really a playoff team in the eyes of of some people, including us. Based on their roster, they weren't really a very solid roster. They went out and made some acquisitions when they weren't necessarily uh, yeah. a team, that, a solid roster that could make it back to the playoffs again without getting kind of lucky. And it's showing against your point that it's not right. all McDaniel's fault. Right. And, and one of those moves, and this is, this is on the current regime. This is not Mayak and Rudin, but uh, signing uh, signing Chandler Jones and trading away Yannick and Gawkway was a disaster. Uh, and Gawkway had more sacks against the Raiders on Sunday, then Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones has for the Raiders all season. That's no good. <laughs> That's not what you want at all. No. Yeah, and another one of those guys they they brought in Devonte Adams, who uh, wasn't very happy. Either doesn't seem like it is having as good a time as he had in Green Bay the last couple of years. Uh, maybe wishing he would have stayed uh, again. It's one season, but like I said, he went to play with Derek Carr and. You just just said that Derek Carr's probably not going to be there anymore, and I think we all yeah. kind of agree. So he's kind of going to be in a situation where it, maybe he he wished he had stayed in Green Bay if he's not already wishing that. And speaking of Green Bay, that's our next topic today. Yes, it is. I will say this for Devontae Adams. He is. I watched most of that game because I'm a sicko. Um, he is one of the guys in the Raiders who actually is still doing everything he can to help them win. It is funny though. Like if you talk to the Raiders and the Packers, that's a trade that seems to have worked out poorly for both teams. Packers would probably really love to have Devontae Adams back right about now, and he's not doing anything for, for the Raiders. They'd be as well get those, those picks back and, uh, and start over there. So that's the opposite when you look at the Tyreek Hill trade, uh, which has worked out for everyone. Tyreek got paid. The Dolphins are better. The Chiefs are doing just fine, and we're able to get some new young talent in there. That's been a win-win-win for everyone involved. The only winner in this Raiders trade is Devontae Adams because at least he got paid. <laughs> and he got paid very well. And the team you just mentioned there, Green Bay, not not having a, a good go of it. But this week they did. You want to start off with 195 and 0. I'm sure you've heard that number. People out there watch, you may or may not have heard that this week. That was the Cowboys' all-time record in the history of their franchise when leading by 14-plus in the fourth quarter until this past Sunday when the Packers' offense finally came alive. We've all been waiting for it. Led by three touchdowns from rookie Christian Watson. Uh, more impressive, though, was the way I think the Packers slowed down the defensive player of the year favorite, Micah Parsons, in the Cowboys' defense. He had no quarterback hits. He he still had some tackles, and there were only one tackle for loss. Uh, really kept him from making a huge impact on that game. And the rest of that Cowboys' defense, uh, at least it, it, down at the late of the game, Green Bay had their best passing performance of the year as well, their best overall offensive performance. What, did you see anything from Green Bay specifically uh, deep down that, that they fundamentally changed things? Uh, I know one thing that I saw was that the offensive line – it was their preferred offensive line playing all snaps for the first time, which was great and seemed to be really good for them. Yeah, uh, there's a, a lot going on here. First of all, let's not gloss over that 195 and 0. Uh, at the end of the third quarter, went up by two touchdowns or more. Two touchdowns at the end of the third quarter. I mean, that's nice. I, I would take that every single week, but it's, it shouldn't be infallible. It shouldn't, you know, they're, they're, to, to go zero losses in that situation in over half a century of football, that's pretty amazing. A lot of games, um, a lot of, lot of games, and the you know Tom Landry's teams were always pretty good, and Jimmy uh, uh, Johnson's teams were always pretty good, and they've you know Par- Parcells, the the Cowboys have been a good team for the vast majority of that half century, but still one ninety five and oh is pre- is pretty amazing. Now, 
as far as what happened on uh, Sunday, how they slowed down Micah Parsons in the pass rush, number one, the most obvious thing, you can't sack the quarterback if he's handing off. And the Packers were running all over Dallas all day. Uh, 39 runs, only 22 pass plays, so almost 2-1, to one, which is a very, you know, especially in 2022, that's a very, very, very high run ratio. You don't see that hardly ever outside of Chicago and maybe uh, uh, Atlanta, you know, the other two teams that are so pass-averse these days. Um, but you mentioned the offensive line. Uh, David Bakhtiari played uh, 100% of the snaps. Uh, for Green Bay on Sunday. That's only the fourth time this year he has played 90% or more. There are two and two in those games, two and four when he has not played at least 90% of the snaps. So having him on the field is obviously a huge help. And you mentioned Parsons did get a lot of tackles here. He had five solo tackles, seven combined tackles. Those both tied as season highs, but no sacks, no quarterback hits, only one, uh, one tackle for loss. So with Parsons, you always got to wonder – and it's hard to do unless you're, you know, sitting there watching the game in detail and writing it down play after play. How often was he playing edge rusher? How often was he playing off-ball linebacker? Uh, last year, it was close to 50-50, but more towards linebacker. This year, most of the year, he's been used as an edge rusher. Uh, I didn't see much of this game, honestly. I was, I was traveling a lot on Sunday, so uh, I, I certainly wasn't charting it. I can tell you, based on the numbers, he had one target in coverage. So he wasn't dropping off a ton, or at least the Packers weren't throwing at him a ton. Um, pro football reference lists him with six blitzes on the day. And again, I don't know if that counts every time he rushed the passer or just times he lined up at linebacker and then blitzed. But uh, of his seven tackles, five of them came on run plays, two of them after completed passes. So just kind of a quiet day. But I think the biggest ish, the biggest uh, uh, factor, I guess, in quieting him down is just don't give him a chance to sack the quarterback, hand off instead. And their, their running game was going so well that it neutralized Dallas's pass rush. Yeah, and that's one uh, I didn't get to see as much of this as well. Unfortunately, as Packers fans, kind of the tough thing sometimes we're trying to follow so many different games and, and pay attention to everything. Didn't get to see a lot of it, but I did see the end, and it was a beautiful ending of a football game uh, for me. i love to see it. But hopefully that it, it can, can move forward. Again, I think the biggest thing for me uh, was seeing that offensive line together, and hopefully they can get, get, get some uh, – carry that momentum forward if you will into this week got a quick turnaround on thursday night but another team that got things going this weekend and it was the first game of the weekend after thursday over in germany was tampa bay had their best passing game of the season julio jones scored chris godwin scored his first touchdown of the year it was also their best rushing game since week one maybe not a coincidence there is it a matter of health uh, for them they really had their big three wide receivers all in the field uh for maybe the second full game this year i forget uh uh, how many games they've all been out there, but was it just a matter of health or do you think Byron Leftwich did something differently or is it something just about playing outside the U S for Tom Brady? He's very good when he's outside the U S as well as inside uh, in the States as well. He has one now one games in four different countries, U uh, S uh, UK, Germany, I believe Mexico was the other one. It was not Canada. Cause you would assume at some point he would have beaten the bills there or something. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, Tampa Bay beat up on Seattle. I mentioned, I didn't see, a lot of games this weekend, and this game in particular kicked off 6.30 a.m. Seattle time. I've seen zero of it outside of the highlights, uh, and it doesn't seem like I have a real need to go back and watch much more of it, honestly. Um, the biggest story, actually, is how Tampa Bay was able to run all over Seattle. Because Tampa Bay has been a terrible running team all year. And uh, they got 100, 100 and some yards and were running, running clock late in the second half as, as Seattle was trying to rally and 
You know, Seattle cut the score to one lead, but couldn't get the ball back because Tampa Bay just kept running for first downs. And uh, that's the biggest story coming out of it. Uh, Derek Klassen uh, goes over this game in Film Room this week at Football Outsiders. You can search the Film Room page there to see his, his breakdown of what they do. But as you noted, Julio Jones, Chris Godwin, and Mike Evans, this is the first time all year they've played in back-to-back games together. Um so having them on the field together for a stretch there, we think actually build chemistry and build timing, which they have been able to do going back to the preseason. Uh, that was probably a big help. And the other thing is the Seattle defense, it's kind of hard to get a read on them because they were horrible to start the year. The first, uh, what would it be, five or six weeks, they were among the worst defenses in the entire league. Then they played a lot better for the next month. I mean, a lot better. Like uh, Snap for snap, they were as good as anyone else for about a month there. But that was also against a lot of broken offenses. Uh, Justin Herbert and the Chargers don't have a lot of things going well. Daniel Jones and the Giants, if, 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 you, if you stop Jones scrambles, they don't have much else to offer. And then they beat Kyler Murray and the Cardinals twice. And, uh, you know, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals will beat themselves half the time anyway. So this is their first game against anything close to a real good quarterback and a real good offense in a month. And it looks like the real good quarterbacks and the real good offenses are still going to have the edge over them. So... Kind of a, a the answer to your question is kind of all of the above. Uh, the return to health, the uh, improvement on the ground. Uh, Rashad White appears to be a big upgrade over Leonard Fournette. Maybe he'll be the top guy going forward. Uh, Seattle defense maybe is not as good as they looked in, in, for most of October. So kind of all this stuff spills up to a, to a Buccaneers win. And, you know, the, the NFC behind, well, I was going to say behind Philadelphia, but they lost this week too. Um, it, it's pretty wide open right now. And uh, in another year, we may have been able to write these bucks off for dead, but with the state of the NFC in general and the NFC South in particular, they are very much alive in this whole thing. And uh, that's, you know, that's not good news for anyone except Tampa Bay. Yeah, and they're still leading their division. They were, I think, tied for first, but had the tiebreaker. Now they're a full game up uh, on the Atlanta Falcons, who lost last week as well. So things are going well. In that film remarkable, I think, too, that Derek said uh, this was the first or only the second time that they've eclipsed or reached 75 rushing yards, and they did it by a lot this week, Tampa Bay did. So really good. And then the other thing that people out there watching may not know, and I'm sure you're aware of this, Tom Brady actually has not been bad this year. He's actually been very good. He's third in DYAR. He's eighth in DVOA among quarterbacks. It's just they've just had a lot of struggles elsewhere. Like I said, guys haven't been healthy. They lost a ton on the offensive line. So really not surprised to see as they get – uh, the receivers are at, they're in the bye week this week, so they've got even more time with those guys healthy to get practice, get things together, kind of like they did in 2020. We we've got a lot of questions throughout the year about how you know Brady is in the top five most weeks in quick reads, and he's been around the top five in our overall quarterback rankings. And people watch the Buccaneers and say, how can that be? Because they struggle a lot. They're 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 not a smooth running machine. And the answer is he still has a plus 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 ball security. Um, I'm sure you all saw the play where they tried the trick play, Leonard Fournette throwing a ball to a 45-year-old quarterback covered by the other team's best corner on a wet, sloppy field. It didn't go well. Um, At that exact moment in time, Leonard Fournette and Tom Brady were tied with interceptions thrown this year with one. And then Brady pulled ahead this year. He threw another one later in the game, so now he has thrown two. But he's still only thrown uh, uh, two interceptions all year. Um, That's less than, like, Joe Flacco. Um, I, I look this up now. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, uh, there's a, there's a lot of part-time quarterbacks who have thrown more interceptions. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater has thrown more interceptions than Tom Brady this year. Um, and, and there's a lot of quarterbacks 
who have thrown more interceptions in very limited time. He's, he's still A-plus at not giving the ball to the other team, and that goes a long way to helping your team win. Uh, Dak, uh, Dak Prescott's one of those. Uh, Bailey Zappi just pulling him up now. Mitch Trubisky has Bailey Zappi, yes. Uh, Taylor Heineke's got four, and uh, Jameis Winston even has four, which isn't too surprising. But, yeah, a lot, a lot of those guys doing really well, uh, Tom Brady is. So, hopefully, for Bucks fans, they can get things going. To your point, the NFC is pretty much wide open at this point, and they're in control of their division. The Bucks are and, and got a week to rest up and, and get even better. One more uh, kind of coaching, I guess this is a coaching decision, but not really a fourth down decision like we normally do. There's been a lot of chatter, especially in the fantasy community, obviously, about Christian McCaffrey's Week 10 usage. So he saw about two-thirds of the snaps, but Elijah Mitchell outcarried him 18-14 to 14 in his first game back from injury. The 49ers gave up a second, third, and fourth-round pick next year, plus a 2024 fifth-rounder for McCaffrey. So for that capital, you don't think they'd want Christian McCaffrey in a timeshare. But we know how Shanahan is. Do you think this was maybe Shanahan just wanting to get Mitchell back into things against a subpar rush defense in the Chargers? Or is it him sticking with his Patriots like you never know who's going to get the touches approach uh, and wants to keep both of them healthy, basically, which seems like it might be the most or most most realistic reason. So a couple of days ago, Kyle Shanahan went on the Murph and Mac show on KNBR radio in San Francisco. And they asked her about this very question. Here's this quote, which is, it, it, it's perfect and it's cruelty to fantasy managers. <laughs> we went into that game saying, in a perfect world, when this game is done, it would be awesome if they, meaning Christian McCaffrey and, and, and uh, 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 Eli Mitchell, uh, it would be awesome if they could have even carries. We thought that would be hard because Christian was just going to be in there a little bit more, especially on third down and stuff. I told Anthony Lynn, the running backs coach, that if it ended up that way, close to even, that would be a hell of a job substituting. So yes, his goal, his stated goal in an ideal world, if everything goes according to plan, is that McCaffrey and Mitchell will split carries 50-50 every week. You're welcome. <laughs> now, I'm one of those fantasy managers. I was very frustrated at that. Uh, <laughs> got to share Christian McCaffrey. Uh, but it, the, the good thing is for fantasy managers, no, this isn't really a fantasy show, but he did still get 14 carries. We know the 49ers are going to run the ball, so uh, he's probably going to get a good share. And he did have, I think, five targets, ended up with three or four catches. So he was the receiving back as well. I think Mitchell only had one yeah. target in the game. He, so, he's going to get a lot more, more more passes, So especially if you're in the yeah. PPR league. McCaffrey's the better guy, obviously. But I would also like to note that uh, despite making this major investment in a new running back who is both a good runner and receiver and then – you know, splitting time with him with another guy who clearly you think is also a good running back. Uh, Kyle Shanahan punted on fourth and five, fourth and one, fourth and four, and then fourth and five in LA territory. Oh man! It's, and that fourth, that fourth and one kick, by the way, a thirteen yard punt. That's tough to see. I mean, at that point, it's it's like just put both of them out there. You got to put put all three of uh, McCaffrey, Mitchell, and uh, Debo Samuel in the backfield and see what you can make work. That'll really confuse confuse some people, but. Uh, We'll see. I imagine that'll carry forward. But again, the week before with Jeff Wilson, who they liked, obviously didn't like him enough. They shipped him off to Miami. He only saw like 14% of the snaps while Christian McCaffrey saw 86, I think it was, in that game that he accounted for three touchdowns. So we'll see. Could be one of those things where you never never know. But the coach's job is, is to win games. 
And if that's what wins the 49ers games, then Shanahan is doing uh, a pretty good job. Has a, a, t- a tougher time going forward than that Chargers team who you mentioned. The offense has really been struggling without Mike Williams. Keenan Allen had a couple other injuries to tight end. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. But Shanahan, when he has gotten to a Super Bowl before, is generally known, I think, as, as a pretty good coach. So uh, we'll still keep an eye on that. People are going to be looking at him a lot, especially in the fantasy community. That takes us now to our last part of the show where we're going to look forward now instead of looking backwards, look into the future to our favorite matchups from this week. Vince, start with you as usual. Which is the matchup you were most looking forward to come this weekend, week 11? So about a minute or two ago, I realized I'd forgotten to make a pick for this and panicked and uh, (laughs) jumped over here to the NFL schedule page. And uh, I had mentioned earlier that uh, we talked about Green Bay and how much they want to run the ball, and the only teams that run the ball that often are Chicago and Atlanta. Well, look who's playing this week. Chicago Bears at Atlanta Falcons on a Sunday uh, Sunday morning here in Seattle. So uh, I'll go ahead and pick that one. It's it's two teams kind of hanging around the fringes of the NFC playoff picture. Uh, Their window's quickly closing. They, they're running out of time. It's probably a loser-out game. Uh, probably a winner out game two, to be honest, but uh, you never know. Stranger things have happened. And it could be a game where the first team to complete a pass wins. So uh, you, you, you never know. But uh, if, if you're a fan of old school football and uh, options and scrambles and that sort of thing, uh, you're going to see a lot of plays probably with the quarterback and the ball in their hands running downfield. So I will take the Chicago Bears at the Atlanta Falcons in the throwback coaching game of the week. And there could end up being a lot of points in that one because those defenses are not very good. Uh, Chicago is 29th in DVOA. Atlanta is 30th. Both no, are sh- uh, not good against the run either. They're 25th and 26th and 29th and 30th against the pass. So it could I be a lot stat, of points. I believe the stat was for the Bears, the first team ever to score 29 points in a row, in three games in a row and still lose all three games. Um, that's that's the way the Bears season is going. They also, like the Raiders, have a lot of work to do. Yeah, had more kicking woes. They lost that game Sunday partially on a missed extra point uh, yeah. that would have sent, would have gone to overtime. The game could obviously could have been played differently, but uh yeah, going to be a lot of running there. Mine that I picked is it, it's a game. It's the Thursday night game, so this might air after the game. But talking about Green Bay and, and hosting Tennessee on Thursday night, Green Bay's thirtieth in DVOA against the rush. They they allowed one hundred and fifteen to Tony Pollard last week, giving up over one hundred forty per game. Well, who do they have this week? Eric Henry, who I believe his his uh, hundred game rushing or hundred yard rushing game streak was snapped last week. I think I saw uh, was it five games, but They've played him before. They slowed him down a little bit, but it's going to be tough because they struggle against the run again this year. And if they can't stop him, it'll be a long night. And then on the other side, just to see if if Green Bay can run the ball versus Tennessee and just see if that offense can carry forward that success from Sunday night. Tennessee's the number one ranked rush defense in DVOA. They're also 13th against the Pats. They've been solid this year. So I want to see if Rodgers, Watson, Christian Watson, Alan Lazard had a quiet game. I think a lot of people are overlooking him because of Watson's big game. I want to see if they can carry forward that success from Sunday night. Tennessee also fourth in DVOA against passes to running backs, but they do allow the seventh most yards. So maybe a lot of volume for Aaron Jones. We want to see how they work him into open space and get him some efficient touches against a team that's very good at limiting efficiency on passes to running backs. So going to be a good one. Again, This may you may be watching this after it's happened, so you'll know the answers to those questions as we sit here wondering about the answers to those questions. So that will do it for this week, the Week 11 Coach Ranking Show. Before we go, like I mentioned at the top of the show, don't forget you can get a free $100 from Underdog Fantasy using promo code OUTSIDERS. They'll match your deposit up to $100 with that promo code, promo code OUTSIDERS. Also, don't forget to sign up for FO Plus at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe for NFL betting picks, 
fantasy advice, premium stats, premium articles. You get an ad-free experience, and above all else, you get access to the data that we have on Monday, a day earlier than everyone else. So you get first access to that data on Monday. And last but certainly not least, don't forget about the Football Outsiders Discord. Join for in-game conversation for every game beginning Thursday night, uh, all day through the day on Sunday and Monday night as well. Thanks for watching. Vince, thanks for joining me as always, and we'll see you not next week. Actually, we will be off next week for Thanksgiving week, and we'll be back the following week. Sounds good. See you then.